and praise be to God. Uh, before we begin this morning, uh, a, a quick family time here uh, while well, I've got you. Uh, we, uh, if you don't know yet, uh, have Christmas on a Sunday uh, this year. A uh, quick announcement about what that's going to look like at South Run Baptist Church. Uh, we are uh, gathering together, as we do, on Sunday mornings uh, at 11 o'clock. Uh, the Sunday service uh, on that morning might look or feel a little different in that, uh, well, one, we haven't quite yet planned it, uh, but two, it's probably going to be a little more um, I don't know, uh, less formal, maybe. Um, it'll be... Uh, it's intended to feel like family time. It should feel like part of your morning uh, that is, uh, is your Christmas morning uh, already. Uh, the hope uh, here, well, uh, one of our values here at uh, South Run Baptist Church, if you don't know the five values, um, uh, one of them is family. And we, uh, both in the sense of supporting our families uh, and, uh, and being a family together, and so uh, this Christmas, we have a wonderful opportunity to worship uh, our, our Lord and Savior, uh, who is born, who gives us the reason to celebrate on Christmas. And so uh, we are coming together uh, as a family that morning. Uh, we want to make it as easy uh, for you as possible, however. Uh, so uh, I've, <laughs> the council and I talked about this yesterday. I, don't, I still don't know how to word it other than to say uh, my kids will probably be in their jammies. I'll just put it that way, okay? And, and we want you to make, we, we just want you to be here, okay? And we want it to be easy. We know that's a special morning uh, in your household. Uh, we want it to continue here. It's probably going to continue as the day goes on. We have our own Christmas traditions that we do, uh, both in the morning and in the evenings. Uh, and, and we hope that this year uh, that you make uh, uh, the church service part of your tradition as well. Family time over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the many, many gifts uh, that you have given us, Lord. Uh, I think of uh, the music that we've, we've shared this morning and the beauty of that. Uh, I think of the beauty of the season uh, that we're in and, and what um, the end of fall and the beginning of winter uh, offers to us, Lord. I think of uh, the, the Christmas season as a whole, as a time of joy and celebration and optimism and hope. And all of these, God, are, are gifts from you. This morning, uh, we come and we settle in uh, as, we, as we talk about preparation and preparing for Christmas Day, preparing for the coming of your son both 2,000 years ago and, and the coming of your son that is yet to come. And so, Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts this morning, that we be a people that are ready for you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I have been uh, reading, uh, I'm not finished with it, I'm about halfway through, uh, a biography on the Wright brothers. Uh, so for all of those uh, in the congregation who are 
interested in flight in some fashion. I've already told Adam some of this. Uh, but uh, it's a wonderful book. Uh, kudos to, actually, Jeff Williams is the one who recommended it to me, and I, I started it, and it's, it's been fascinating. Uh, I want to take you back in time uh, about 122 years ago. Uh, so the turn of the century, uh, right? Uh, envision a world where flight doesn't even exist at all, right? This is what the Wright brothers uh, give us, a world with flight. Like, it's, it's, it's really hard to imagine t- in this day and age uh, that like, we, we hadn't mastered as, a human, as humans, we hadn't mastered flight yet. In fact, we, not only have we not mastered it, uh, but most people uh, thought this was for cranks, uh, that this was for people who, were, uh, who had a death wish of some kind because people would try it and then they would, they would inevitably die uh, in the process. Uh, the New York Times, literally days before uh, the Wright brothers actually flew, said, never in a million years, is what they, never in a million years will man be able to fly, right? Uh, and so they, they, they weren't capable of seeing that. And it's, to us, it's astonishing, right, that this uh, didn't exist. But what, was, what became astonishing to me is the, the visionaries that the Wright brothers were uh, to be able to see something that it seems the rest of the world couldn't see, right? And so the Wright brothers said to themselves, uh, uh, well, they, they spent a lot of time actually just uh, looking out in nature, and something that I enjoy doing as well, which is, is watching the enormous birds that fly in our skies. Uh, and without, with, with very little flapping of their wings, uh, often it takes no flapping, uh, they can soar through the sky, like, it seems endlessly, uh, and, and up and down, you know, without, again, any flapping. Just, and so the Wright brothers would study this and watch these birds uh, and they would say, you know, if they can do this, I think we can do this. And, uh, and with uh, enough preparation, they got themselves uh, and, and, and they gave to the world the gift of flight. But it wasn't without cost, right? It wasn't without trial and, and without error. It actually took a lot of, of all of those things. Uh, and it's what makes them truly uh, remarkable people in history. Uh, one person that was deeply influential to them was a, a Frenchman named Moulard. And uh, I just, I, I want to simply read uh, a couple lines. Uh, this is from Wilbur Wright himself uh, talking about the influence of, of this man on their thought. Uh, Millard was, uh, was French, yes, uh, but he, for whatever reason, spent a lot of time uh, in Egypt uh, and would study these enormous vultures. And he himself uh, wasn't so much a, um, well, he was, he was fascinated by flight, uh, but he was more of an artist and an innovator and, uh, and perhaps even a poet. Anyway, so this is, this is what Wilbur Wright recounts uh, or says about this man who was deeply influential to, uh, to him and to them. 
He says, the erection at Cairo, Egypt, of a monument to L.P. Mullard recalls attention to one of the greatest missionaries, oh, I should say, uh, the right uh, father was a, uh, a minister, uh, which I uh, appreciate uh, deeply. Uh, this is another reason why I love this biography. And, uh, and as a minister, he had an enormous library. Again, I love uh, th- this man, uh, the father, that is. Uh, <laughs> and he... he Anyway, he gave them uh, the gift, a number of gifts as well. So they go, moving, moving on. So they talk in terms of, they, they, religion just kind of is the language or the, the metaphor that rolls off of their tongue quite naturally, right? So he said, again, the erection at Cairo, Egypt, of a monument to L.P. Mullard recalls attention to one of the greatest missionaries of the flying cause which the 19th century produced. Mullard was a Frenchman who passed a large part of his life in Algeria and Egypt, where his attention was attracted by the wonderful soaring of vultures on fixed wings. His imagination was greatly excited by what he saw. And during the remainder of his life, and this is the line that caught me, he was like a prophet crying in the wilderness, exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. I was like, I love that. He, so they use this image, which is our scripture for today, of John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness, repent, right? And, and Wilbur Wright uses this with respect to uh, this gentleman who for them was the John the Baptist to them, opening their eyes to the possibility that, yes, we can do this. And they do, and it, it changes the world, Dramatically, right? I mean, envision a world without flight and then envision the world we live in and those are two starkly different worlds. We're a different world because of it. And it required someone like this John the Baptist, Jean-Pierre Moulard, uh, who was capable of seeing something that it seemed other people were not capable of and calling them to repentance. And Wilbur uh, and Orville Wright repented of their sins, and they opened their eyes to the possibility, and they were different people because of it, and now we are as well. Uh, Let's go ahead and open up our our scripture for today. Our scripture is from Matthew chapter 3, and uh, in Matthew 3, it might seem an odd scripture for uh, this time of year, but it's not, I promise. It, uh, It is all, we are in a season of preparation, right? That is what Advent is, preparing for the coming of Christ. And here, uh, John the Baptist is one who prepares us quite well for what it is that Christ came to do. And so we get uh, John the Baptist preparing the way. Matthew chapter 3 starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read a little more than, than we actually read uh, for, uh, in the passage today. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet 
Isaiah, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is his simple message, right? And he's out in the wilderness, and he's fulfilling, as Matthew says here, uh, Isaiah, it's a chapter 40, it's a critical chapter, and most uh, Jews in this day and age actually believed that this was something that, uh, as Matt put very eloquently, was, was on the, uh, the, the job description or something that needed to happen uh, in preparation for the Messiah's coming, right? And, and one of them is, there should be a voice crying in the wilderness, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, uh, for those of us who were on the Israel trip, we, we actually went to the Jordan River uh, to this actually very lovely spot. <laughs> I don't know if it was uh, the exact spot where John the Baptist was baptizing, but it was, it was at the very least in the Jordan River. And some of, uh, some of us on the trip uh, were baptized, uh, and it was a wonderful time. Uh, and we got a really nice picture of what that might have looked like, right? And here he is. He's crying out, and he's saying one word, really, which is repent. It is remarkable to me that they're in the wilderness, though, because there is another place they could have gone for repentance, right? There is another, there's a whole system in place, is there not, for the forgiveness of sins? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the temple itself, right? They, they could have, and John could have participated in, in what was happening in his day and age uh, at the temple in Jerusalem and, and kind of shuffled everybody in that direction. But that's not what he chose to do. This isn't the sort of preparation he made. And in fact, he's drawing people away from it and toward wilderness. Something happens in the wilderness, a lot of things happen in the wilderness. And often it's the place we find God when we least expect it. And I think this is what we find in Matthew chapter 3. It's what we find actually in a, a number of places in Scripture. We find people being drawn into the wilderness in finding God in the place that they least expect it. And so here, he is this voice. He's crying in the wilderness, and he's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. If he's preparing us in one way, I've already said, it's that word repent, right? It's, it's the idea that we need to open our eyes to the possibility that we are sinners, and we've done something wrong, and we need to set our hearts straight that we might see God anew. He goes on and describes John. He says, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, and they were confessing their sins. The passage continues, and what happens next is, um, again, 
uh, telling as to John's idea of, of what was happening truly uh, in Jerusalem and at the temple in this uh, time. Because uh, what happens next is that there's a group of people who come out and he immediately labels them as a certain kind of people. They're, they're the people who were actually operating the temple system is who they were. And, uh, and he's essentially saying in, in, in what's about to happen here, if you were doing your job right, I wouldn't need to be out here crying in the wilderness. We'd all be rushing into the temple system and we would be achieving uh, our salvation that way. But it turns out that over history, uh, and it gets uh, played out any number of times in our Old Testament, and it's happening in Jesus' day and age, the system that was created breaks down. And so what has to happen? Somebody has to come crying in the wilderness, a prophet crying in the wilderness. Repent. Repent. John sees many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, is what it says in verse 7. And he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who warned you? Right. This isn't quite the loving uh, Jesus or the loving John the Baptist. John the Baptist, I don't know that he ever gets described as, uh, as the warm, fuzzy guy. Jesus often does. Uh, but, but John the Baptist, uh, he's going to just say it like it is. He's going to tell them who they are. They're, they're a brood of vipers. And who warned you to come to this baptism, right? And why they're there, it's not clear. But he does go on. And he says something very important in this coming verse. And he says this. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I wanted to make sure we read this part because I do think this is exactly what needs to happen. It's not enough to just simply repent, right? It's not enough to say, I'm sorry, and then to go about doing all the things you were sorry for is to say, I'm sorry, to turn about and to do something very different and to begin to bear a different kind of fruit, right? And so it says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, John is not filled with warm fuzzies. <laughs> He's reminding us of the seriousness of the situation that we find ourselves in. And that the axe is sitting there uh, at the base of a tree. Here's a tree again, right? And he goes on to say the nature of his baptism. His baptism, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. That's the preparation he's making, right? He's drawing us all in and he's saying, someone's coming. The Messiah is coming. And our job in this moment is to prepare ourselves. And how do we do that? We, we repent. And we get into the waters of, of, of the baptism 
and we remind ourselves of the ways in which we have failed and the ways in which God finds us and brings us through his mercy into his presence. And then he goes on, and he continues, though. He says, But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I take these to be the same thing, the fire part being, uh, if you recall in, in Acts chapter 2, the, the disciples are sitting around and, and, and the Lord has been crucified, he has been risen, and, and, he, and uh, he ascends into heaven, and the disciples are left waiting, right? And what happens next is, is they're in the upper room together, and the Spirit rushes through like a mighty wind, and there are tongues of flames atop their head, Right? And it's the signification that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them. And this is the work that Jesus does. And so if John the Baptist is calling us and and preparing us by calling us into a repentance, Jesus is then baptizing us with the Holy Spirit. And he's pouring out his Spirit upon us. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. When I think about uh, the Wright brothers and uh, their vision uh, for flight, and, and how uh, they were capable of seeing something that we were not capable of. It's worth saying this, that they weren't uh, visionaries in a very clear sense. They actually, they couldn't have told you all the different ways it would play out, that f- what flight would mean to us. But there's also this fun fact that I found fascinating. They, they had a car. Cars, of course, back then were not, like, popular. I mean, like not everybody owned a car, and uh, they, they had a friend who had one, and uh, one of the brothers, I forget which of the two, says, hey, maybe we should uh, work on like uh, making uh, the car a better, uh, uh, maybe this is what we should do in life, is like work on cars. And the other brother says, no, I, don't, I just don't see much of a future in cars. Right? I, I don't see that happening. Like, I, I don't, and this is what he said, they're smelly and they're noisy and uh, I just don't see that going anywhere. I'm going to put my, my focus on flight, right? And so they clearly uh, were visionaries in this one sense with flight, but not entirely with transportation generally. <laughs> and uh, and so I think it's the same with us, right? As we think about like, the ways in which uh, God is calling us into repentance, um, we can possibly see certain things about our own very self that clearly needs uh, repentance, right? We, we need to, sh- to shed something, and they, they might be obvious to us. But then there are other ways in which we, don't, we, sh- we just don't even know our own sickness. 
And I would encourage you this morning, and, and not just this week or in the coming weeks, but to begin the practice of some kind of regular uh, uh, practice of, of, of repentance, of daily repentance, and calling yourself back to God. What that looks like for you, I, I'm not entirely sure. But I'll say this, that uh, a number of months ago, maybe over a year ago now, uh, when I talked to uh, Jeff Seacrest, who normally uh, does the announcements, uh, uh, I, I asked him, you know, can we put a, a moment of silence uh, in there? Or, or can we have a time of uh, just reflection and repentance uh, in the beginning of the worship service as a way to prepare our hearts for what's to come? I would encourage you to do this on a daily basis. I found this lovely quote from a, a, a gentleman that I quite like. He's, he's passed now. He was a, a monk in Kentucky. Um, it, well, now I've lost it. His name is Thomas Merton. And um, he had a lot of time alone. <laughs> he has a lot of time for self-reflection, right? And so he, he's something of a professional at it. But he says this. He says, The man who is not afraid to admit everything that he sees to be wrong within himself and yet recognizes that he may be the object of God's love despite his shortcomings, he can be sincere. His sincerity is based on confidence, not in his own illusions about himself, but in the endless, unfailing mercy of God. The good news of Jesus Christ is good news because we need it. We all desperately need it. And sometimes we can get caught up in this notion that, well, maybe I am actually a pretty good person. And I think most of you are, are very good people. I won't say the ones I don't think. But, uh, <laughs> but the fact is, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, for the coming of the King, it is an opportunity for preparation. It's an opportunity for some self-reflection, for recognition of the ways in which we've failed ourselves, failed others that we love, and most importantly, the ways we failed God. And it's a time for reflection and for repentance, calling us back to who God desires us to be, that we might shed that old person, be baptized into a newness of life, and be given that Holy Spirit that Jesus desperately wants to give to us. For some of us, what that means is this morning, you're doing it for the very first time. And it's a beautiful thing when that happens. And Christ offers you uh, salvation in, that, in this very moment. And for some of us, we are that living sacrifice that you read about in, in Romans 12, right? Do you, do you know this passage? We are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices aren't typically living, are they? They're, they're dead. You, you, just, you, you kill them and, and then you, you offer the sacrifice. But we, we are to be living sacrifices, which is actually a lot harder than the dead sacrifices. Because every day 
We've got to get up and we've got to sacrifice our life. And we've, we've got to die to those things that need, we need dying to. And we've got to live into those things that need living into. And that's some tough work. But the season of Advent is a wonderful season in which John the Baptist reminds us to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven, that's that path that we're, that we're trying to walk toward. It's not just, by the way, heaven in the sense of where we go when we die. The kingdom of heaven is at hand in the sense of it's offered to you in the here and now. It's a foretaste, at least, in the here and now of what is possible. But it requires repentance. It requires self-examination. It probably requires uh, a few uh, apologies to some people that you love. And it requires getting right with God. I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing a song. And as we sing uh, in this Christmas season, I, I would just simply ask uh, that you take this time as an opportunity for some self-reflection where God is, is perhaps shaving a few things off of uh, a hardened heart this morning and, uh, and how you uh, can get yourselves right with God this morning. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we prepare for Christmas morning, we come with a preparation of repentance, with a recognition of the ways in which we have failed ourselves, the ones we love, and most importantly, failed you. God, we ask that you set our hearts right. That as we prepare for the coming of the king who rules the kingdom of heaven, that we be the kind of people who are able to see, to see the kingdom itself and to see the king and to be citizens of that kingdom. Lord, set us right today. And I pray that you continue to do that work in us. We thank you for all the goodness that you've offered to us. And Lord, we desire to offer back to you our very selves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.